Are you looking for the best tips and tricks to run a successful dental practice? You're in the right place. Welcome to Bulletproof Dental Practice, interviewing some of today's most successful dentists with your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak. Okay, folks, welcome back to the Bulletproof Dental Practice podcast. I have to say that it, I'm sorry for the delay in some of my publishing. I've been doing some traveling, enjoying some time with my family, and it's been a great break. But now I am back at it. And today I am super glad to have Craig Cody, and he is a certified public accountant and certified tax coach. And today we're going to talk about kind of some some tax mistakes that some business owners make. And really, I'm going to give a little background here on Craig. So it's an interesting background, Craig. And I want to say that you were a New York City police officer for 17 years on the force. In addition to being an accountant for the past 17 years, he's also a certified tax coach. And as a certified tax coach, Craig belongs to a select group of tax practitioners throughout the country who undergo extensive training and continued education on various tax planning techniques and strategies to become, well, certified. So with this organization, Craig has co-authored an Amazon best-selling book called The Secrets of a Tax-Free Life, and recently authored a book of his own called The 10 Biggest Tax Mistakes That Cost Business Owners Thousands. And I've been reading these books. I have both of them in my possession. And I have to say that it stimulated a lot of questions from that, Craig. So I'm super glad you're on the Bulletproof Dental Practice podcast. And I know that the listeners will get tremendous value because it's something we all pay a lot of attention to as dentists and small business owners. So welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me here. I'm really excited. Yeah. So here's, I need to make a quick disclaimer to everybody that this is, you know, this is the bulletproof disclaimer is that this is not, do not take this as any kind of guidance as official guidance or advice. This is really just you and I having a discussion for the benefit of people to generate ideas so that they can either A, reach out to you or B, reach out to their certified tax planner. But do not take this as hard and fast advice and just start going off rogue without either talking to Craig or someone who's qualified. Agreed? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Because sometimes... That's the disclaimer. Everyone has to have their own legal disclaimer. Personally, I'm excited about this discussing stuff with you, Craig, because believe it or not, I've had five CPAs in the past, I think probably seven years, I think I told you. And and that would make me look like the nightmare. You know, if a dental <laughs> patient came in and said that to me, I'd had, oh, I've had five dentists in the past seven years. I'd be like, well, guess what? Keep searching because I'm not your, I'm not the one for you, right? That'd be a huge red flag. But I don't think that I'm a terrible client. I just think that a lot of accountants that I've worked with in the past under, oh, I should say they overpromised and they underdelivered because I was literally seeking someone who was proactive. And I know that's a big tenet of one of your books is, is strategic tax planning versus just filing your taxes. And I couldn't find someone, ironically, I should have found you earlier, that I couldn't find someone to literally sit down with me and have face-to-face time or get on the phone and, and actually strategize as opposed to just like, oh, here's what happened this year. And so that's why I quit, kept switching. It wasn't because we had big issues. It was really because I was switching. And so I'm sure that a lot of listeners out there have some of the same issues that I had, or if they don't, they really should be seeking someone more proactive. Do you see this a lot in your, in your industry? Yeah. I mean, we see clients that come to us and, you know, when they have multiple CPOs over the last five, seven years, 10 years, and then we start asking questions and we find out, you know, it's basically, there was no communication. 
everybody was, you know, real good at putting the right numbers in the right boxes, but they weren't being proactive. There was no planning being done. And it's all about, you know, keeping more of what you make legally. Right. And I think that was the f- most frustrating part for me is that by the time we realized some things that we could do, it was too late. It was too late. You know, yeah, you can amend your tax returns and go back and do that. But like, to me, that just kind of defeats the purpose. So anyway, I love that you are a proponent and ambassador kind of of the pro the small business. And I think a lot of dentists, or I should say a lot of my colleagues actually seek out what are called dental CPAs. And I don't know if there's a bona fide profession for that or a specialty, but for some reason, I have a lot of colleagues who gravitate towards that thinking that there's probably some benefit to kind of economies of scale. And I, I have learned that that's kind of, I've dealt with a couple of those and I have learned that that is a myth. Would you agree or? Oh, most definitely I agree. You know, you know, we come across that in the industry and people are usually when they say they're a specialty, you're a specialist, it's because they have a lot of clients that happen to be in that field. But for the most part in accounting and tax planning, there is every business as far as what works tax wise is fairly similar. I mean, you have restaurants with tips and stuff like that. That's a little bit different. But for the most part, you know, the dental practice, the medical practice, the legal practice, what you're allowed to do, okay, legally is pretty much the same. Yeah. And I mean, in small business, as an overarching theme is business is business. Yes. Some of us are in service industries and yes, some of us are medical, like you said, but the 30,000 foot view is that to be a, is that we're all small business. Exactly. Um, We all have kind of the same problems. So you have a lot of, even though you're not, you don't put yourself out there as a dental CPA, you do have a lot of dental clients. Uh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Okay, cool. But I don't, I don't um, consider myself, I wouldn't term myself as a dental specialist. Okay. So I've been uh, reading your book and really I, I liked the shorter book that you've published, The Top 10 Tax Mistakes or the top 10 most expensive tax mistakes. And I really liked that. I mean, that resonated with me, number one, because I have a small, it's a shorter book and I have a a shorter attention span. (laughs) And it was very succinct and to the point. And I love that it was just filled with a lot of stuff that I was like, huh, this is good stuff. So I think a good topic or a good, we need to jump into is really going over like the top tax mistakes that you see either from a dentist standpoint or small business as we've kind of identified those are very, very similar or aligned. Are you okay with that? Oh yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Yeah. This is really your wheelhouse. So I love that, you know, obviously you published a book about it, but let's kind of go over some of the top ones. And if we have time, you know, I'd like to go through them, but I'm sure we will, I will have questions and follow-ups on some of them. So I might not be able to get all of them that you have the top 10 mistakes, but let's hit the lowest hanging fruit, if you will. Sure. That's great. Do you want to start or do you want me to start listening? Well, you know, I can kind of guide along and really I can go like the failing to plan. And we kind of touched on that. I think it's appropriate. Well, let's talk about the fail of the plan a little bit. Okay. So it's really failing to plan is the biggest mistake we see because everybody is kind of looking in a rearview mirror instead of looking forward. And when you don't plan, you, you know, people spend all this time looking for a new car, researching a car and everything, going to consumer reports. But when it comes time, you know, to plan for their taxes, you know, nobody's really taking the time to do that. CPAs, clients, they're not communicating on a regular basis. And if you don't communicate, you don't know what you don't know. And most accountants typically think planning is, okay, we touch base with you in December and we figure out how much in tax you need to make a payment by by January 15th and that's some tax planning. When if you talk with people and you figure out what they're doing, you could you know show them ways to do things sometimes a little bit differently, but to take advantage of the tax code. So failing to plan is is the number one issue that we see because people are busy and you know they're not 
communicating. Yeah, they're too busy kind of running their business to stop sometimes to think about like, you know, they're too busy in the day-to-day minutia, granular movements to think about like, hmm, you know, what should I do to kind of strategize my business, right? And I think that's almost silly. You know, it almost falls into the working smarter, not harder kind of thing. Exactly. And when you realize when you actually have a plan done for you and you realize how much money you can save, then it kind of the light bulbs go off and you realize, okay, yeah, we really need to do this. We need to communicate because it, it is a lot of money. It is, especially when you're talking about, you know, like you mentioned, you know, the medical or dental, you know, there's a lot of top line revenue that's going through these practices. And it's not so much like someone told me, it's not so much how, how much you make, but more of how much you keep. Exactly. It's definitely about what you keep. Absolutely. And and I know it's not number two in the book, but I would say the second biggest mistake we see is, if I go on, would be choosing the wrong entity to operate in. And which means- Choosing the wrong what? I'm sorry. I didn't- Business entity, whether they're a sole Ah, proprietor- Yes, yes, yes. Partnership, a single member LLC, a corporation or S corporation. That is something that we see very often where basically they were starting a practice, they spoke with their attorney and, you know, they recommended a certain type of structure and maybe a sole proprietorship or maybe a single member LLC because as professionals, we have those professional LLCs that really don't give us a whole lot of protection. And sometimes those are not the right way to be operating. Sometimes corporation makes sense, you know, and sometimes we have people that are operating as corporations and when you look at everything together, you can make a decision what entity is really best. So there's no like one size fits all. It's just really looking at all the facts and figuring out what is really the best way for whomever is operating that entity to be in the type of entity. So the entity, I see a lot of dentists having PC and like a personal corporation. I myself am an S corp, but so what would be kind of the definition? Like why would someone pick a PC or, you know, I guess PC is a personal corporation, correct? Right. Well, I I know some states are a little bit different, but in like in New York, it's a perfect, if you're a professional, if you're licensed by the state, you are supposed to be a PC for a professional corporation because you don't have the typical liability and I'm not an attorney, but you don't have the typical liability protection that a a non-professional would have. So you see, you know, PCs that are taxes corporations, you see LLCs that are PLLCs, professional LLCs, and they're taxed as single member LLCs maybe, or they're taxed as, if there's more than one, they're taxed as a partnership. And each one has, you know, its own set of um, pluses and minuses, Right. depending on what your circumstances are, makes a difference. Yeah. So are both an S-Corp and LLC, are they both pass-through entities? Yes, they're both pass-through. So I guess you, you could explain it, but basically, go ahead and explain what a, what a pass-through is. So for what, pe- what a pass-through means for the whole, for the most part, excluding some state, typically it's a state fee that the state wants to collect on your pass-through entity, is the entity itself doesn't really pay any tax. All the income flows through to your personal return, and then you pay the tax on your personal return based on what you get from pass-through entity, which could be a K-1 from a, a partnership, a K-1 from an S-corporation, or it could be a, a single-member LLC that's reported on your Schedule C of your tax return, or it could be just a regular sole proprietorship. So you can have an LLC with an S-corp election? Yes, right? you can. You can make an election okay, to be taxed as an S-corp. And uh, there are instances where you could even make a late election to be taxed as an S-Corp. So who's generally best suited? Let's say hypothetically reach out to a dentist. Like who would be best suited to be an S-Corp 
versus who'd be best suited to be an LLC. Well, I guess an LLC is similar. But what would you see in your experience being would be the best way to set something up from an entity standpoint? And it I know really, you said it varies from it situation does, to situation. It, it does vary because it depends on are they partners, are they not partners? You know, okay. are they looking Let's to, say there was not partners. Okay, so you're either a single member, let's just say you're an LLC or you're an S corporation. And if you're an LLC, you're probably taxed as a single member LLC. So, and if you have nothing else going on, no other investments or no other businesses you're involved in, maybe then, you know, an S corp might be the right way to go. So this, I have a lot of younger dentists that listen to this podcast. And I think there couldn't be anything kind of more important. So this would be an instance where obviously it's a pretty complex subject. So this would be an instance where I would highly recommend someone to reach out to you and determine kind of, you know, with a long range goal, short term goal, where they are now, determining what, how they should set up their entity. Correct. And we yes. do that. We do that kind of planning. Okay. That's great. Because honestly, I, I have made the mistake in my career as, as setting up the wrong entity and... You know, it's kind of a mess when you have to back up and do it correctly. It's kind of a cluster. I'm a big believer in having your CPA, your tax professional, your attorney, and you having at least a conversation at the very least over that before you decide the entity choice you're going to you know, use. And the consequences, you know, obviously going back to number one, which is leaving, well, going back to number one, where we kind of alluded to the fact that it's not so much how much you keep, but how much you make and choosing the wrong entity can have adverse consequences in terms of your tax liability. Oh, most definitely. It can make a, a big difference as far as your liability. It could also make a difference in where you're going to operate in the future. So it's not something that you just call up the uh, attorney and say, you know, I'm a dentist. I need you to form a PC for me, or I need you to form right. an LLC for me. Or don't go on LegalZoom. Yeah, I, I'm not an attorney, but I would not recommend um, any of those for somebody that can be sued. Right. You know, at least if, this, right. if the attorney, we say if the attorney screws up, at least you could sue him. Pretty sure LegalZoom pretty much tells you that, you know, they, they have but no liability. But if it's DIY legal work, then you're on your own. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So that's number one and two. I, I like those. I think those are good, good starters. What would you say would be the third biggest mistake you say you see people making? What it paranoia. People think, you know, that if I do something, it's going to create an audit. Well, if you're doing something and it says you're allowed to do it in the tax code, so let them ask you about it. As long as it's documented why you're doing it and, and how you do it, you're okay. The IRS sends out thousands of letters every day. And more times than not, they're, they're wrong letters anyway. But if they want to know why you did something and you did it for the right reasons and you have it documented, that's okay. Now, we're not talking about going to tax court over something where there's a gray area. We're talking about strategies that are recognized by the IRS and this case law to support them. Someone once gave me an analogy that stuck in my head because I did have tax paranoia at one time too. And, and he basically said, think of your taxes as kind of like a toll bridge, right? So tax evasion would be blasting right through that toll bridge, not paying the toll. Tax avoidance would be taking side streets legally around that toll getting to your other destination. And it's a total legal proposition. But blasting through and not paying your toll would, would obviously be evasion. 
for some reason, that's always stuck in my head. And it resonated with the fact that like, you know, it's really about code and playing the rules. And yes, you have to play the rules of the IRS. But I think it's interesting how you touched upon like how many millions of returns are generated each year and then how many audits are done and then how many there's different tiers of kind of, I guess, people being prosecuted. Can you touch on that? I think it's pretty interesting. I mean, if, if you're being prosecuted, you're doing things that are, you know, way off base. You know, when we do a plan, part of what you get is you actually get like a binder with each strategy and where it says in the tax code and the reference to the tax code that says you can do it. Okay. So we're not talking about gray areas in a plan. We're talking about things that you're allowed to do. Listen, Donald Trump, Warren Buffett, they all do it. Why can't you? Totally agree. And I think a lot of people have the fear of like getting locked up. You know, like, oh man, I, I got caught on my taxes. I'm going to jail. Right. <laughs> you know, and that's just not the case. You know, if you, like you said in your book, if you lose, you'll get a deficiency notice. And, you know, I guess some people have to write a check, but it's simply a bill. And you can still appeal that and justify it and go through all the process of that. The people that you see in the news that are getting locked up, it's they're not reporting income. They're not just taking, you know, they're really just not reporting income. So it's egregious violations. Extremely egregious. That's criminal stuff. So bottom line, just never be afraid to take a legitimate deduction. As long Um, as you document it, you can take it. And if you have, and I know how you mentioned in your book, and if you have, if your tax professional is, is making you shy away from those legitimate advantages, then you should have them explain exactly why they say so. Right? Is it because sometimes I think, and I hate to say this, but some, I've had a CPAs who didn't really want it. Seemed like a lot of work for them. You know what I mean? Like, well, yes, it was almost easier just tell me, oh, hey, don't do that because you don't want to do that. That's a gray area. Well, it really wasn't a gray area. It just was a lot of work for them. Right. And if if you're only meeting with your professional, you know, when it's tax time, that professional probably the way his business might be is he's dealing with all his clients in this three month window. So he needs to get that stuff out the door versus the professional that's dealing with you throughout the year. Right. And making sure you're doing everything right. And the fact that you're doing a podcast in April with me and you have such a calm, cool, and collected manner means that you are totally proactive. Yes. (laughs) Because most CPAs I know are literally going crazy right now. Right. Right. Well, you know, it's a different practice and um, I guess I'm lucky. Yeah, I well, I mean, you know, there's, I don't really believe so much in luck, but yes, you've planned appropriately and you speak and you walk the talk, right? I mean, you do what you say. And that's obviously evident by us being here today on this podcast in April, April 10th, as a matter yes. of fact. April 10th. So, all right, give me the next one, Craig. This um, is good. Let's see. How about the wrong retirement plan? Maybe you want to look at the different, you know, retirement plans that are out there. You know, people have staff. Maybe they want to cover the staff. Maybe they don't. Maybe they want to have a 401k where they have to put away a little bit for staff and then they could do their $18,000 a year deferral. You know, Then you have the defined benefit plans and stuff like that when you want to put away a lot, but you have to look at what way your staff fits into it. But rather than not looking at that and put you know a couple thousand dollars into an IRA, if you look at that and give your employees the opportunity to put money into a 401k, everyone comes out ahead. What if they're not contributing, right? Like, you know, I, I've been in a situation in the past where no one really cared, no one really contributed. So it ended up being very, quote unquote, expensive for me. You know, there just didn't seem to be much interest. And I went all the, through all the time of setting this up. And then maybe I didn't create the value and, you know, to show the benefits or my planner didn't or my uh, organizer. I don't know. I'm not using the right word. Administrator. Administrator. So before you set up a plan, you need to see, you know, what your employee's level of interest is. And then from that, you need to decide, okay, what kind of a plan am I going to put together? 
So if it means you need to put, you know, money away or not and, you know, you're in a 33% bracket and it's going to cost you, you know, 5%, well, kind of makes sense. So what are some of the common plans that would be applicable to the dentist well, um, What that you see? I mean, we see the 401k plan. That's um, just a traditional 401 Traditional 401k where people can defer up to 18000 and an extra six if they're over 50 years old. And then um, they can add a profit-sharing version on top of that if they want to put money away at the end of the year. And then it's done with an actuary and he figures out how much you need to put away for your employees. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you compare that to your tax bracket, you know, you're able to put money away for your employees and it's still costing you less than it would have cost you in tax. So you just have to really do the homework and plan and figure out whether that's the best. Is it, is it a simple IRA? Is it a self-employed pension plan? Is it a defined benefit plan? You have to see what type of employee buy-in you have, how much money you really want to put away and go from there. It's not a matter of calling up Fidelity and say, I want to set up a 401k because, you know, there's no planning there. Yeah, this seems to, you know, honestly, this has been a complicated subject for me as well. I mean, it just seems like there's so many things, almost like kind of like the entity of setting up your um, organization, that this is where I started to glaze over to with all the choices and, oh, we need to do this. And I think I actually had the safe harbor plan and that's when people didn't contribute. And so we actually ended up having to get rid of that plan. You know, let's let's go back to kind of the young audience. Like, what would you say would be sound advice? I mean, is there anything, I guess, maybe just educating themselves on this or discussing with a professional? I mean, trying to give some DIY kind of hints. Like, you know, if they want to do it themselves and want to do the heavy lifting and want to look at, into it, obviously they can't set up the plan. But like, how would you recommend that they become versed in this language. I would say, you know, talk with your CPA and ask him, who do you know that will take the time to lay out the different things that are available to them? And as a CPA, I'm getting pitched probably three times a week by investment advisors. So they should know a number of people that they could set you up with that they've worked with before that they trust that'll give you, okay, these are your options and they could walk you through those options. And maybe you're not ready to do something today, but you know, the good thing about being a dentist is the perception is you may not be making it today, but in 10 years, you're expected to be making it. And the investment advisor is willing typically to you know, invest the time to have that future client. So they're investing in you early on. And if someone blows you off just because you don't have the high revenues, then you know, that obviously is not, they're not a good fit because they're not looking at the big picture long-term play. Correct. Correct. And you should have a team, you know, and you should have a team that is willing to take the time and take the call from each other to help you do what you need to do. And that is vital. I didn't have that until later in my career. I didn't feel like I, for some reason, w could demand that of everybody. You know, oh, how, how am I going to get everyone to coordinate my attorney and this and that? Like, they're never going to do that. But that is just a huge saver for everybody. And it does strategize so much better when everyone is on the same page and you're the quarterback telling everybody kind of how you want to operate. Yes, obviously there's some guidance and coat from the coaches per se, but like you're literally the one running the ball down the field. So you should be, your vision should be supported by them. Right. And, and by them doing that, it's actually good for them because they build more relationships with other people that are potential referral partners for them. So if they're smart, they're going to do that. So the wrong retirement plan is a big thing. What else do you see us being some top 10 tax mistakes? Well, we could talk about missing family employment if you have kids. Now, the IRS says you are allowed to hire your kids to work in your business. So let's just say um, 
And the IRS says actually you could hire this case law that says you could hire a seven-year-old. Now, I typically like to you know start at like eleven years old and document what they're going to do. But just say you have a, a eleven-year-old that's going to you know summer camp someplace and it's going to cost three thousand dollars. And one way to make that three thousand dollars deductible is hire your son or your daughter, pay them every week or biweekly, put the money into their account. And then when the bill comes, have them pay the bill right out of their, their own personal bank account. So now you've turned that non-deductible expense into a deductible expense, legitimately. And you obviously have to document that they work and what they do, and they have to be paid a reasonable wage. Can't charge them, you know, charge $1,000 an hour for them to be licking stamps. But that is something you could do. And, you know, we use that a lot. I know my own children, when they were going to um, private high school, that's part of how we paid for it. Interesting. Okay. That's pretty cool. And so at what point do they get taxed? Obviously, they have their own tax return then, right? So obviously, you're taking advantage of a lower tax bracket if you get taxed. And at what point do you start getting roughly taxed? It's, roughly, it's, it's actually taxed at their rate because it's earned income. But roughly, the first $6,000 is tax-free ballpark number. Right. So, and depending on what type of entity you are, they may not, that income may not be subject to self-employment tax. So that's why a lot of different things go into choosing the type of entity you are. Right. It's yeah. It's a pretty convoluted web when you when you really get into the all the advantages. You need to make sure that they're all aligned. All right. Cool. What else? Uh, then we have um, medical benefits. Um, we we have you know health savings accounts. We also have something called the medical expense reimbursement plan. And this also depends on the type of entity you have. But say you have children that need, well, you guys are all dentists, so it doesn't fit you guys as much as it might fit somebody else. But, you know, my typical example is your kids are going to need braces. Braces are expensive. Typically, only a portion of that is covered by health insurance or dental insurance. So if you have a medical expense reimbursement plan and it's set up with the right entity, you can hire your spouse to do something in your business. They don't need to be paid on a W-2. And then their actual wage or salary is a medical expense reimbursement plan that you get to deduct, which pays your out-of-pocket medical expenses. Once again, it's not for every entity. It's for the right entity. And, you know, choosing the entity based on what your facts and circumstances are is a, is a big part of that. So it depends on the entity in which you're set up for your kind of employee benefit plan. Correct. And it's usually a separate standalone, depends on how many employees you have. You have to look at all that to see if it makes sense. And that is called, uh, I'm, I'm looking at your, your book here. That's a section 105 plan? Yes, it's a medical expense reimbursement plan. Wow. Okay. And it, it has to cover, you know, all your employees, but you can, you know, there can be a time frame where they have to have worked for so long, et cetera, et cetera. So you could tell the plan so it works best for your business. So how would that be different than just provide I mean, is that different than providing, let's say, health insurance? Well, this is in addition to health insurance. So there are certain things that are not covered by health insurance. Okay. LASIK and braces, yeah, like you were exactly. saying. Exactly, and any out of pocket, you know, glasses and all that kind of stuff. Which can add up, especially if you have a couple of kids. Okay. Yes. You provide this to your employees as well. Correct. So, and then there's, there's ways you can, you know, limit who is, this plan is actually available to. The next one I see that I'd like to discuss is missing a home office. And I thought that was something that everybody did. That's, Not so much, huh? That's the big or audit paranoia thing. Like, oh my God, ah, I can't do that. Okay. I'm, my, my guy tells me we're going to be audited. I mean, the IRS came out about a year, maybe a year and a half ago with like a, a safe harbor number. I think it's around 1200 or $1,500 a year. Okay. 
there are a number of things you can do if you have a, a home office, you know, and you, you have to do, obviously, do certain work, like your all your paperwork that a lot of people do do from their home office. And then if you have a home office, you're allowed to have a, a home health care facility that's deductible, and that might be your home gym or it could be a pool. And these are all things that are in the code says you can do this. So if you have a home, go, wait, but rewind that a little bit. <laughs> you like so, that. Uh-uh. <laughs> so... I get the home office and you know, there is legit business going on in, in, I'm just talking from personally, legit business I do from home. So I have no problem supporting that and reporting that, if you will. But go back to the facilities. Because you have a home office, and it's, which is just an office really, you can have right. an on-premise athletic facility. And you can write off the cost of your on-premise athletic facility. So it, it could be depreciating the cost of your pool. It could be the operating expenses of your pool. The same thing with your home gym. These are things that people are just, you know, walking right by. And it has to be for the use. Your employees have to be able to use it. Okay. So if you open it up to your employee, what if they what if they don't use it? I mean, I guess is that is that their decision? That's their decision. But it's meaning it's, okay, I just didn't want support of that or support of documentation to be predicated on how often someone used it? No, I mean, I mean, I know most people that have a pool. They, you know, they have friends and family, and they tell them to come over anytime you want and use the pool. But how often do people come over and use the pool? They come over when they're invited, but it's legitimate deduction and it's in the code. That's pretty cool. Yeah, there you go. I learned something for sure on that one. That's cool. Okay, let's talk about uh, car and truck expenses that you see people missing. Right. So. If you have a home office, that means you you may be driving from your one home office to another office. So that mileage becomes deductible. If you don't have a home office, you can't deduct from your home to your office because your work doesn't start to get to your main office. So that's a big thing. So if you don't have a home office, make one and start doing should, a little business you from do, your home office. You should office. be doing business from, from that home office. You know, yep, It has to be legitimate. So... You talk about deducting the miles versus like, for instance, I just, I don't track my, I guess is there's, there's two kind of options from what I understand. And again, I am not an expert by any means, but there's deducting the, the cost of the, the vehicle versus do, actually going the mileage route. Is that correct? Right? And once, okay. once, if you have a vehicle and you choose the miles, you have to use miles for as long as you own that vehicle. Okay. You can't go back and forth. So depending on your vehicle, maybe if it's an SUV and it's a, over 6,000 pounds, then you're not going to probably use the miles because you're able to, you know, depreciate the cost of that vehicle in the year you purchase it. Whereas, you know, a typical car doesn't depreciate as well as a truck. And then you have to look at, does a lease make sense from a strictly a tax perspective? Am I better off leasing or am I better off purchasing? Because when you purchase, you have to depreciate, and there's caps on how much you can depreciate a vehicle that's a car. And so, kind of similar to the home office, you know, if meaning tires would be an expense, and if you have repairs, that would be falling under correct your vehicle. And then you have to document your percentage of use, okay? Right. And then at the end of the year, if you use that vehicle for seventy five percent business, then you get to write off seventy five percent of those expenses. I think people are probably utilizing that one, you know, the vehicle. I mean, I know a lot of my colleagues are, but it's probably being underutilized a little bit. You know, people are missing out on like, you know, the insurance and the tires and the maintenance and the license and the property tax and the tolls and all sorts of stuff. And a lot a lot of time we see it being misused. They're taking 100%, okay, which means you, you only use the car for business. I think pigs get slaughtered and uh, I prefer not to be a pig. But hogs get fat. Yes, that's right. It's one of my one of my favorite quotes, actually. Okay, let's keep going. This is I like that we're we're getting right to the meat of of these mistakes. We yep. only have a couple more. Yeah, we have a couple more. We have meals and entertainment. 
Okay. Yep. Are you taking full advantage of meals and entertainment? So that doesn't mean you could write off when you and your wife go out to dinner on a Saturday night and talk about business. But if you're out with clients or potential clients and you talk about business, then that's deductible. Okay. And then basically, you know, I write on the receipt, like, yeah, I don't know if that's a sound way or something you recommend. Like, you know, I met with John Smith. We talked about potential referrals and I actually write it on it because then it shows the amount and all that stuff. Is that, yes, is that, that a good way? That's a, that's a good way. And all those receipts go in an envelope and it's on your credit card. And then it, God forbid you ever get audited, you have the documentation to go back and find and who you did meet with or have lunch with or coffee with. But, you know, in the world of, you know, iPhones and Samsung phones, et cetera, a lot of that stuff is in your contacts. It's in your calendar. So you could go back if you need to. You could print it out and you're all set. You know, I have a, like an Amex thing that actually lets me just take a picture of it and upload it right there to my receipt thing right. um, after I write on it. So, you know... Like you said, back in the world we live in, everything is kind of digital. It just makes it easy to get the supporting documentation you need. Right. The, the same with car and truck expenses. There's so many apps out there that track your miles oh, okay. for you. Okay. So let's talk about one thing too. What about like entertaining at home? I've always wondered about that. You know, if we have people over, friends over, or new friends over, you, sometimes you f forget that that's a legit expense too. Right. So if they're not employees and they're friends and you're entertaining and you're talking about business, then it's a typical 50% deductible. But there's also, we call it the Augusta rule. And rightfully so. I think the, uh, it was this weekend, right? It's a Sunday. Yeah. Okay. Sergio so, won. Finally. So I always like to think there's not a whole lot of hotels around uh, Augusta. Augusta? There's so not. I guess years back in their great wisdom, the government says, well, we want to allow people, we want to kind of entice people to rent out their homes when these people are, these different tournaments are around the country. Mm -hmm. And how about if the first 14, if you rent your home out for 14 days or less a year, you don't have to claim that as income. So let's just say you have a board of directors meeting once a month at your home. So you could rent your home for that day and obviously you need a lease and your business pays you personally for that day. And now you get to write off that meeting. So it's basically the business gets a write off and you don't have to, as long as you don't go over the 14 days, you don't have to pick that up as income. Okay. So that would be something applicable for a dentist. So how would you define the value? It would be commensurate to a meeting space, let's say at a local hotel in your town. You could look at meeting space in hotels, local venues. I mean, I had a client where she was telling me, well, I run Girl Scouts and a two-hour meeting in the school cost us $600, okay? Mm -hmm. My daughter just had her sorority event and they just rented the space inside of a bar and they didn't get served alcohol or anything and it was $1,800 for six hours. Mm -hmm. So... You have to see what is legitimate in your area. I have a client that would rent her brownstone out to film movies, and she right. would get $5,000 a day. Now, we would not use $5,000 a day, but when she rented it to the movie, she got $5,000 a day. And so that 5000 was not taxable to her because she made sure she didn't rent her home out for more than 14 days a year. Yeah. So that'd be my next question. Is there a cap? Like, I mean, meaning that if those 14 days added up to, let's just say hypothetically, $100,000. Know, I mean, that would be a nice house. Okay. Uh, well, or, yeah, okay, you're right. Okay. So it had to be, it's your home. I'm just saying, let's say hypothetically, like, let's say you lived in New York and wanted a nice 
conference room that you rented and let's let's say that you know let me do the math on that real quick let's call let's call let's say it was ten thousand dollars to rent that conference room for your team you couldn't justify it being that if you had a quote from a meeting space you couldn't justify your home being the same i would make sure i had more than one quote if i was using a number like that okay Okay. definitely a thousand dollars a day in manhattan is not uncommon because i'm not that far outside of manhattan so we have plenty of documentation of you know different quotes we've gotten for different spaces i'm comfortable with a thousand dollars a day and remember, this is for employees or boards of the directors. It's not for entertaining. So that's good. And again, it goes back to your quote, you know, that a pig, a hog or a pig will get slaughtered. Pigs get slaughtered. <laughs> I said it was one of my favorite. Then I just got miffed by the quote itself. That was awesome. All right. So what else would you say would be a um, another mistake? A big mistake we see in dental practices is, you know, depreciating all the cost to set up that practice, whether it's leasehold mm-hmm. improvements or, or equipment and stuff like that. It's amazing. Best thing I could say is it's amazing the, the things that we see that, that are missed. And fortunately, there's a way to go back and recapture all the, that missed depreciation because as far as the government's concerned, if you don't use it, they're going to make like you used it anyway. What do you mean? So if you have an asset that's supposed to be depreciated mm-hmm. and you don't depreciate it, and then you go to sell it at some point down the road, the government's going to look and say, okay, well, you should have depreciated the full cost of that asset. So now when you sell it, you have recapture, what we call recapture on all that depreciation that you have to pay tax on. So Mm. you want to make sure you do it right and you take the time to do it the right way. And we also see it with, you know, build outs, et cetera, like that, that's, you know, depreciated over a long period of time. And sometimes, you know, there's a couple that you could do a simple cost segregation study and come out and wind up with, you know, ten or $15,000 of additional depreciation in the early years. So you just depreciate it faster. Yeah. So it's like an accelerated depreciation. Correct. Correct. Okay. So typically, like... Real estate and all that stuff. For some reason, 39 is popping in my head. Is Commercial that- is 39, yes. 39. Okay. So, but if you can, and I guess we can go pretty deep with this one, but you know, there's cost segregation and accelerated depreciations and all sorts of stuff. And I know that's a little bit divergent from what you were just indicating, but do you define the term in which you want the depreciation? Meaning, yes. can you do it in a year? Well, it depends on what you're doing, but yes, sometimes you can do it in a year. And sometimes it makes sense and sometimes it doesn't make sense. Okay. And that's for your, your CPA to obviously determine. Yeah. And then when we find the mistakes, which is usually, you know, a lot of times what we see where things weren't depreciated correctly, or they weren't depreciated at all. And it's usually because, you know, the time wasn't taken. There's a way to go back and take that, all that depreciation that was missed in one year. Yes. You know, one thing I see, and you may see this with some of your, your clients, Craig, is that I'll see dentists at the end of the year just buy a like a huge piece of equipment that they kind of want but don't really need and they haven't really justified the ends to the means for the tax benefit and that's how some of the salespeople who are selling these you know either it's a laser or a, a, you know a crown machine or whatever it is right and I think that's a a pitfall that dentists fall into is like well I'm going to get the tax benefit if I'm going to buy this hundred thousand dollar piece of equipment and I don't think that's good tax strategy either right. Right. I mean, well, would, would you rather keep 100% of it or just keep 25% of it or just get a deduction? I'd rather keep all my money right. rather than have to spend it on equipment that I don't need. Right. I think sometimes we get a little bit brainwashed from the industry saying like, oh, well, you you know, if you need this anyway, now's the time to buy it because you'll get the, you know, and there used to be the bonus depreciation and all the stuff. And I don't, actually, I guess it's still there's, there. There's still 
bonus and is, you know so and you have to look at what works and what mm-hmm. doesn't work based on your situation okay yeah so we've gotten some awesome stuff and i guess really the last piece of advice would be really getting some well i should say the last mistake people make is not consulting appropriately just an overarching theme can you make an offer to the listeners? How can they reach out to you? Maybe how could they acquire your book? Yes. If they go to our website, which you'll have in your show notes, which is um, www.craigcodyandcompany.com forward slash bulletproof, there's an offer to receive a free copy. We'll mail you a free copy of our recent book, 10 Most Expensive Tax Mistakes That Cost Business Owners Thousands. We also offer a uh, free tax analysis where we review your tax returns and we come up with a number of missed deductions and missed opportunities and mm-hmm. show you, okay, well, this is what you're leaving on the table. So you do a kind of a free, a, I, don't want to call, I don't want to say audit, but it's, essentially for- It's an analysis. Kind of re- it's an analysis. analysis. Okay. So that's great. Okay. Yes. What about for someone who hasn't, let's say you're, they're a rising dentist, they're, meaning they're, they're graduating dental school and they want to basically have a consultation with you to kind of set it up the right way, kind of how we alluded to. What would you recommend they do? Well, they, they could definitely get our book and definitely touch base with us and we could have a call. And if we think a mini tax plan is, is relevant to them and they're going to get enough value out of it, we'll recommend the mini tax plan. But they will definitely, you know, have a chat and see what's going on. I would highly recommend all of my listeners to, it's a short read, like I said in the beginning, you know, it's about 75 pages and it's very succinct to the point and just chock full of benefits and value and hints and tips and all this stuff. So I would take Craig up on the offer to get your free book sent to you. I, I really highly recommend that I'm, you know, I'm going to do a, a deeper dive on it even after our call. So I, I do appreciate, yeah, I, cr- I appreciate you making this. Oh, thank you. I'm very one. happy to be here. And, and you know, and how would you, I actually did an, I did an, a podcast recently with actually someone who was doing the ghost writing for book. And obviously you didn't ghost write, but how is this? We're jumping way off topic from the tax thing. I'm actually going to ask you about how has writing a book been for you and your business? Well, I mean, it's instant credibility. I'm in a world where accountants set the bar very low. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. they just, that's by nature, I guess we wear pocket protectors. So it's credibility. I'm laughing because dentists sometimes aren't too far behind, you know? I mean... You know, writing this is my second book, and actually we're working on a uh, a third one right now, is, you know, instant credibility. It shows I know what I'm talking about. We practice what we preach, and um, we have um, a good staff, and we have, you know, plenty of happy clients that stand behind, you know, what we've done. And there's been, you know, a lot of money saved. And that's, and again, that's kind of what it's all about. And you've totally impressed me, and I'm, I really am, am glad to have spent this time with you. I mean, I, again, I appreciate the book. Appreciate the value that you've delivered today. And I highly encourage those seeking advice to reach out to you. And, and you are right. I will put all this stuff in the show notes with the link. And then is there a way once let's say someone gets your book, is there a way they can email or is there a form they can fill out to then go to the next steps? Well, our, well, our con- we'll give you our contact information, but that's also on our website. Okay. Um, so email It'll is always come with the book as exactly, well. Exactly. You know, yep. We always okay. we send out a little brochure along with the book and, um, you know, it's a good book. I know dentists are very busy, but it's yeah. kind of, you know, a good book to, to read quickly or skim through and know what you're missing and know what you can be doing. Yeah. And at minimum, let's say they're not in the quote unquote market. At minimum, it gives it gives discussion points to have with your CPA. Exactly. Right. And so that you can quantify and qualify where you are in your own 
trajectory, if you will, and say, hey, you know what? We need to have a discussion on this because I don't feel comfortable with where I am. Exactly. If you take nothing else out of this podcast, it's that you need to communicate with your professional. Anything else that you want to add, Craig, in closing? We covered a bunch of different things. You know, I could just tell you that a typical tax plan analysis, you know, is, I'd say we save the average client about $20,000 a year in taxes. Now, not everybody is at that point yet, okay? But when we do a plan, that's what we're, you know, there's real dollars there. It's not just a couple of thousand dollars. It's real dollars. And this is stuff that people can use to put away in for retirement. It could be, you know, just money in the bank. It can be that vacation they want to take, or it could be, you know, more shoes. Right. And it was your money to begin with. Sometimes people think, like, oh, look at this, but it was yours to begin with, right? <laughs> it's just about keeping more of what you make and doing it the right way legally. That's cool. I think that's a good place. Again, Greg, totally appreciate the time. I know you're a busy man. I know you've got a lot probably to do being in April and uh, appreciate the value you delivered to the listeners today. And, and I will put all this stuff in the show notes. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Bulletproof Dental Practice with your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak. Online at BulletproofDentalPractice.com. We'll catch you next time.